That's not how we cultivate our heritage and preserve our heritage. We preserve our heritage through telling stories, through dancing, through singing, through celebrating. That's why bodegas and the corners are so important. That's why laundromats are so important. Oh my God. Welcome to the podcast, Being All of Us. It's great to have you here. My name is Brian David George, and my mission is to inspire you to become an agent of change in your own life through the stories of people like you from around the world who are on a journey of self-discovery and inclusion. I believe that these conversations will lift you up and help you to uncover your potential and to become your higher self. So sit back, go for a walk, a run, a drive, whatever works for you, and enjoy some time to get to know more about yourself. And welcome to the Being All of Us podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. I am joined by Jade Cintron Baez, or Jade Cintron Baez. Jade, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So I, I was exaggerating a little bit, your name. And there's a story behind that. We actually know each other from when you lived in Barcelona. And so could you tell us maybe about maybe some experiences? Well, no. Tell us about you. We'll get to that later. <laughs> Tell us about you, Jade. Who are you? Yes. So I am a, I like to call myself a first and a half generation American Cuban. That's an American who comes from a Puerto Rican and Cuban family. And I was born in New Jersey. So I'm definitely one of those Jersey people. I'm a Jersey girl. Very uh, <laughs> loud and proud about that. And I am uh, and have always been a theater practitioner. So an actress, a dancer, a singer. and as my life went on, it became more my tool than just something I did on stage, you know, my tool for work. So when we met, I was living in Barcelona. So I lived there for eight years total. And I was teaching English using theater movement. I mean, a lot of times song, let's get serious. I was always trying to find a way to incorporate uh -huh. that. To make it into a musical class, <laughs> right? How do I get this? I mean, actually, sometimes literally. So there was one school where it was a, a you know, a school for kids and I was doing theater and musicals. Like I was writing stuff for them. So yeah, sometimes literally. And then with my adults during the day, going to their, you know, businesses, I was like, all right, so let's do this scene. Let's pretend that. And they're like, oh, so you do theater with kids, you know, later. I'm like, I also do theater with you. You just don't know it. Or you just don't recognize it, I guess. So that's always been who I've, I've been, you know, I'm a traveler. I, I love, and not in that way that people say it, just like. I'm a traveler. No yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah a right. I'm like, I'm like, how do I say this nicely? Not like that. I really, I really am a traveler in a, in a lot of ways, more than just somebody who literally travels to different places. So yeah, that's, that's just a little bit of who I am. And tell us a little bit about, so you said, repeat again, what you describe yourself as. Uh, yes. An American. American. How did you come to <laughs> calling yourself an American? Oh gosh, this was years ago. I. Oh uh, gosh, I couldn't even tell you when exactly. I want to say probably in my early 20s. Yeah. So I mean, we're, we're talking like maybe like somewhere like 13, 14 years ago. I was trying to define what it is that I was because it didn't feel fair for me to just say, oh, I'm Puerto Rican and Cuban, which I still do say. And that is true, but I wasn't. And, you know, depending where you are, especially when you're in Spain, right? It didn't seem accurate enough to showcase what I actually was because I wasn't born in any of those places. And although the, you know, Puerto Rico is part of the States, really nobody sees it that way. Everybody sees it as its own country, right? When you're actually <laughs> from there. So 
I wanted to start off with Ameris. People would go, huh, what? And then go into the rest of it. So people understand that, you know, I'm, I'm a first, well, in between first and second gen, I always call myself, but. And it's funny how we, you know, as you say, and a mayor, you wanted to start with a mayor, how that is kind of challenging the way that people assume Americans are, because, you know, why is American not including Puerto Rican Cuban identity? Yeah. Or the rest of South America or Central America. I mean, you know, and, and this is something that I actually frequently talk about in Spain. A lot of people would ask about, they're like, oh, well, America. And I'm like, you know, I recognize that. That's very true. But well, how do people actually use their speech? When somebody says that American, nobody ever, I mean, unfortunately, ever means the other, you know, the other spots that are also in the Americas. It doesn't make it correct, but people knew what I meant. And so you're signaling that kind of thing. And, and luckily, my places are also in American. So, right. yeah. I also really like the way that, I guess it's challenging the idea of what a person from the U.S. can be. You know, like not yeah. everybody who is from the U.S. is of European descent and white skinned, you know? Mm -hmm. So being from the United States can literally mean that you look any way, shape, or form. It doesn't mean like the blonde Jennies or Stacys or, <laughs> you know, the Brads with the blue eyes, you know? <laughs> it's, it's really, it, and I think that's something that maybe here in Spain, at least, it's the country that we both know, they do have this image of people from the U.S. being the blonde, ha the blonde-haired, brown-eyed, or you know what I mean? <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of it's cool that you are making that so explicit. Like, yes, I'm from the U.S. and I'm also Puerto Rican and I'm also Cuban. Yes, and it's funny because I mean, you should have seen, and and you possibly could have when we worked together briefly. You know, I walk into a classroom for the first time, and everybody's like, "Is this another student?" <laughs> <laughs> And then they hear how the English like flows out of my mouth and they can tell that it's very, you know, maternal language sounding. And they're just like completely perplexed. And not that people ever said anything to begin with. In fact, they mostly didn't. It was usually once we got comfortable. And it's actually really funny because in Spain, whether it was professionally or, you know, with friends or, you know, meeting different groups of people, as I always was, people actually thought I was Black. And that was always really funny. And I was always like, well, you remember? And this was actually my line. It became my line to the point where I was like, I need to stop making this sound like I've rehearsed it because I haven't rehearsed it really, but I say it so often. But people be like, wait, if you're not black, what are what you? What are you? And it was like this, like, I, and I can't do a good Spanish. I'm going to work on it. I mean, I should be able to do a good Spanish accent after eight years, but I can't, but they'd be like, you know, let's get it. And I was like, do you remember that time? I'm like, really funny story. Do you remember that time that y'all decided to go over to Africa, pick some people up, take <laughs> them to what is now known as the Caribbean, and you just started like mixing with the Africans and the indigenous folks there? You remember that part? And they're all like, and everybody gets really awkward. And I'm like, that's what this is. Um, so that's what I look this, like. This. She, she's, uh, you know, showing her face to oh, anybody yeah, who's sorry. I'm listening. Sorry, I'm showing my face. <laughs> I'm like, that's what all of this is showing face again. Um, and so, and then people go, Ugh! and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm cool with it. Like, don't worry. I'm not, you know, upset about it anymore. And I would always joke, but I'm like, but that's what this is. So yes, you will see parts of me that resemble perhaps a, a person of African descent. 
parts of me that resemble somebody of indigenous descent. I'm like, and then you will hear me speak in Spanish in a way that is very from the Caribbean. I'm generalizing there, but you know, and there'll be other things about me that you'll be like, oh, 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 you could break me down. And then I, I've also done my ancestry DNA. So literally that is actually very mm. true. Yeah. So like it is very clear that those are the three things that encompass me mostly. And it would blow people's minds to make that connection. And they'll be like, <gasps> I'm just like, well, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, it's not cool, but it's cool right now. Like we can still have like, you know, una copa de vino. Like, it's like <laughs> we can talk about it. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I and, you know, and I am a dork for that kind of thing, and I find it really interesting. And you know, it still blew people's mind. They're like, "Yeah, but you," and I'm just like, "Yeah, it's not so simple as black and white. It's not ah, that simple, right? It's not." That, <laughs> and that can be extrapolated to so much more. Oh like, yeah, that's not, a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as simple as black and white. Right. Speaking of speaking of podcast, well, podcast. What do you consider so? Jade, tell us about your project. <laughs> I don't want to yes. spoil it. Spoiler alert. Yes. So my project is called Looking Bilingue. It's, and it's funny you ask, like, what do you call it? I'm like, I've been playing around with that. So it's, it's, you can certainly listen to it as a podcast in the sense that you don't have to be looking at the screen to like get the essence of the story. But it is an interview series, right, that I have on YouTube. And so that's kind of what I'm going with now, to, you know, it, it, it gets people understanding like a YouTube series, an interview series. And basically it's a celebration of biculturalism and bilingualism in the Latinx community. And, and the reason I called it Looking Bilingue is because what does that look like? What does it look like when, when you look the part, when you don't look the part, to whom are you looking the part? How do you feel the part looks? And what do people expect to come out of your mouth? Um, and that changes, right? That changed very much when I was in Spain. Here it varies as well. Depending on how I'm dressed, people will be like, oh, that's clearly somebody who is living, you know, or like from an Anglo country, right? I've, I, that's actually been said to me, literally those words. They're like, oh, you could tell that you're somebody that wasn't from here. And I'm like, well, yeah, you could have also looked at my face. <laughs> Uh, I mean, listen, there's people that look like me in Spain now and it's, it's becoming more of a thing, but like overall, you know, it's a good bet. So basically I, I was fortunate enough when I was growing up to live in a household where I was speaking English and Spanish since I was born. Right. Like that, those were the two languages that were in my, in my surroundings. Despite that, I went to school in English, right? That's just what it was. I don't, bilingual education programs weren't as much of a thing. We definitely didn't have access to that where I was from. They actually tried to put me in an ESL class for kindergarten if I went to public school. Yeah, and I sounded like this. My mom's like, speak. And I'm like, blah, 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 blah. And let me tell you, I spoke just like I do now. Um, And so there was no, you could have like, I would have given you like, you know, a dissertation at five. And so I was very talkative and very, very advanced for my age. And they still wanted to put me in an ESL class because I grew up speaking Spanish as well. In my area in North Jersey, North Bergen, that was a commonplace. A lot of folks that, although we did not need ESL classes, were put in ESL classes because we grew up with two languages and that was seen as a hindrance. Wow. So that's a whole interesting thing. And my mom was like, hell no. And, sh- you know, shout out to my mom, who at the time, by the way, if I was four or five, she was in her early 20s. And she was like, absolutely not. So that's actually why I got put in, into Catholic school, that and because it was just a better educationally overall, but that's why. But I was lucky, basically, all this to say, for looking, dealing with all this to say that I was lucky enough that even though I didn't study Spanish in the same way that somebody who goes to school and studies it, and not as a second language, I mean, like takes math class in Spanish, does gym right. class in Spanish, everything, I didn't have that. 
So my vocabulary and my experiences were limited to home conversations and things like that. So while I was, while Spanish is my maternal, one of my maternal languages, Spanish and English, both, there are certainly things that I kept saying throughout my life that were never corrected, that were never like, you know, refined, entre comillas sort of thing. And so when I got to, you know, I'm going to skip ahead, but when I got to Spain and prior to that as well, I'm not going to lie to you, you know, there were definitely moments where we were like, oh, that wasn't correct. Oh, that came out of your mouth like a, you know, like a, like a maternal language speaker, but then you, oh, oh. Okay. But then, you know, and I'm flowing. I could argue with you in Spanish. I dream in Spanish. I go off in Spanish. I laugh, you know, all those things. But sometimes there's a little, I'm lucky, right? I'm lucky in that sense. I'm very privileged to have had that much. There are folks that are like me, but it's the spectrum. Folks that whose parents were like, we're not going to teach you Spanish because it is a hindrance for linguistic purposes, but also for cultural purposes. There's also people that are in between that kind of got enough to get started, to understand that, you know, a chancla is being thrown at their head. They understand why that's <laughs> happening and what was said, but they can't really communicate back. Yeah. So, you so know, what's, wait, wait, what's a chancla for people who don't know Spanish? Uh, <laughs> chancla, a chancla is a slipper. <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't think I ever saw this in, in Spanish culture as much, but in Latino culture, it's, it's always a joke. Although now people are talking about like the trauma that that could have ensued if it was a serious issue, not just like, you know, a, a spanking, like, you know, a, a, right. a light spanking for a child, but like you would get hit with a slipper, you know, bow, bow. And it was like, ah, to be fair, I really didn't. I got threatened. I, I did not. <laughs> it never actually it. flew in your direction, right? <laughs> it, if it did, it was very purposely in the other direction, just enough to scare me. Okay. But not actually going to hit me. Like, it, you know, so there's so many Latinx identifying folks that are U.S. based. And, that, and you could talk about this in other places, but this is what I know, right? That are like me, have similar backgrounds to me, have names that are very indicative of their ancestry and of their culture, look the spectrum, really, and do not speak Spanish to where they would like to or at all. And that's also caused a lot of generational trauma because now you have certain folks expecting something of you, you can produce. And then now you're beating yourself up about it. And, you know, listen, there's a spectrum of this. It's not that everybody's like, you know, like, oh, pobre de me, like for me, like, no, it's, it's not always like that, but it does give you a lot of pause. And my time in Spain really highlighted that because suddenly I was dealing with two things. One, okay, where do I fall short? Can I have an intellectual conversation about politics when I didn't study that. I can't speak to that the way that I could in English. Now I can. But <laughs> but also with me in Spain, it was people telling me that things were incorrect that weren't incorrect. And in fact, Spanglish is not incorrect. And it also doesn't mean if I go into Spanglish that I'm confused or that I'm lacking the word in the other language. Translanguaging. There's all these terms I've learned subsequently that made me go, wait a second, F you, buddy. Like, and I did then too. I'm more now, but I did, did then two people say, well, that's not really a word. I'm like, well, my grandma says it. So yes, it is. What? Who are and you? you? Know, it's funny because if you think about the origin of romance languages, for example, they all are, you know, they all came from Latin and, and they were combined. Like the languages that we speak nowadays are all the result of combining languages. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's not it's an incorrect. Evolution. Exactly. No, exactly. But it's it's how, and and, and listen, my Spanish friends and my Catalan friends have heard me monologuing many times about this, but I'm like, it's how colonialism persists. 
you're telling me I'm incorrect because you assume that I am lesser than because I'm coming from these places where you sent your language and literally forced it upon us. Like what? Like you don't, you know, and, and there's even, there's even, and actually, and I've read this in a couple of places about American English too, but Spanish in, in the Caribbean is also older Spanish. Yes. Which is really cool. I'm like, so I'm speaking like the outdated version, the 1.0 version of both my paternal and great. I think it's <laughs> funny, but, but, you know, like there's words that they definitely don't use now in, in Spain, for example, but that they used to use, but still are prevalent there. And some that are even Portuguese influenced, which is actually something else that is in my ancestry, which makes sense, Iberia. But Prieto, that was that was a word for black, right? In 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 or it is a word for black in, in Cuba, for example. And yes, they also say like negro. And I'm, you know, I'm, I am just talking about the color now, but prieto. And I was like, and then I saw, I think in, in, in Portuguese, it's like prieto or, or something very similar. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, this comes from so there's also a lot of history there. It's like, oh, you don't like your outdated version. So looking bilingue is kind of an expression of your life experience and a shared life experience with other people in the yes. Latinx community and and how just how diverse that community is, you know? And yes. how I mean, what how did it come about? I mean, what was what was that thing, that little moment you're like, oh, I'm doing this, you know? How did it happen? Yeah. Um, I was looking for that thing. And, you know, that's one of the reasons I left Spain. One very small reason at the time that kept growing. I just wasn't seeing myself reflected. And I was like, oh, why am I here? I kind of want to be around people that look like me and understand me and not just, you know, obviously the the expat American US community. Mean, I didn't actually really hang out with them that much in, in Spain. I'm not that. I met like Latinos. I was like, I miss that. I miss being around people that understand where I'm coming from and my journey. And so when I came back, I, I completed my master's, which is also one of the reasons I came back. And in my master's, which was in arts administration, which is my, my thing, really, at the end of the day, I was creating all these businesses for like, you know, for projects and for this, which I had been doing in Spain also. But it was always with language, right? It was always with language, with my experience as an ESL teacher. And I was like, oh, I'm not quite landing there. I'm like, do I create a language school for Latinos who want to learn Spanish as that they missed out on? Do I create a, a, a dual ESL and Spanish for Latinos, like specifically for people who are somewhat within the culture from, you know, whatever the spectrum is. And I was like, uh, I'm like, maybe later, maybe that's an iteration that comes out and I couldn't find it. And then, and I hate to be, you know, part, probably what a lot of people say, you know, that when the pandemic happened through my job, I currently work at the Free Library of Philadelphia. Through my job, I started doing YouTube videos. And I'm proud to say I, I jumped on that boat before a lot of people did. So once everybody started, I was like, <laughs> FYI, right? FYI, my videos were, you know, but, you know, I was doing these literacy. So I, I am the bilingual early childhood literacy specialist there. And I work with predominantly Black and Latino communities in North Philly with the daycares, you know, which extends obviously to the community. And so I was like, oh gosh, I can't talk to my teachers anymore. I can't talk to my directors. Well, who am I talking to? I'm like, oh, the parents. So suddenly I'm talking to these folks, trying to get them to do dual language things, right? So I started making these videos that were, you know, obviously like, here's some literacy tips, but also here's some fun songs you can sing with the kids. Here's some fun, like role plays you could do. Here's, you know, this, that, that. So I started experimenting on YouTube. And then from that, I started to realize, ah, oh, this is a great platform to be able to tell stories. Because that's always, like I said, you know, theater is my tool. I don't need to be on stage. And in fact, I don't usually don't want to be. I can just be that there's a difference there. And so I was like, oh, I have these conversations with people that are close to me all the time 
or professional acquaintances. I'm like, what if I gave their stories a platform? What if I talked about this thing that's kind of weird that people don't understand what it is to be a Latinx person that is you know, anywhere between first and third gen and just ask them these questions and let them talk about their experiences. And hopefully it could be something that's cathartic for them, but it can also be something that is informational and important for other people to understand because it changes your perception and how you deal with folks when you understand their story. But our story is not being told in mainstream media, online, not really, not at the rate that everybody else is being told. So that's, so that, and then I went, boom. And it was just super clear. Everything else that I planned, but was thinking down the line, down the line, feels like it makes more sense now coming from this storytelling place. You know, right now I was listening to you, I was like, the platform is so important and and creating platforms where the stories we're not used to hearing are being told. That's actually the reason that I created this podcast was the same thing. You know, I was realizing that I was having so many deep, I'll say conversations with people throughout the pandemic and they were healing conversations. And like, you know, we were sharing what it was like to be human in this experience and how it's, you know, sometimes it's terrifying and how sometimes we get scared and how it's so much easier to do this together. And like, I felt like we were, you know, kind of celebrating being human together. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that this kind of conversations where we're talking about the things that we don't normally talk about and we're like giving a platform for people who don't normally get heard to have their stories be heard. And that's why I am so inspired by Looking Bilingue because it really is. I wish you guys could see her smile. You know, there's a, <laughs> that little like humble smile. And you know, it's a good thing that you're doing. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a very... It's very satisfying. It's very... Yeah. I, I, cathartic, is, it's also cathartic, but it's, it's not even just cathartic. It really, it makes me so happy. It makes, I'm just like, that's all I want to do. That's all I want to do. Maybe you could talk a little bit about what it's like for you when you are, you know, hearing these other people tell their stories, you know, how, how does it make you feel to know that they are sharing because of you? Or that's, that's kind of a weird question. What I'm saying is, you know, how do you feel doing this? You know, I guess I'm asking for myself, like I might have a little bit of an imposter syndrome here. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm wondering how you feel about that. Like, is am yeah. I really the one to be doing this? You know? <laughs> yes. And, and and my answer is that, you know, again, it, it came from this organic, much like yours, where I'm having these conversations because I dork out on this. And whether it's over a cup of wine or a cup of tea, or we're just walking, or it just came up. And I'm so, I, it's something that lights me from within to hear other people's stories and also to help them know that they're not alone. I'm like, yes. oh, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. And, and just that bouncing back and forth, you know, being like, yeah, this, and they're like, yeah, but you know what, but you speak Spanish really well and you can defend yourself and you can go and do a whole presentation in Spanish and you're fine. And I'm like, yeah, but there are very concrete moments that I have been embarrassed that I've shut down because I just got nervous that I would have shut down in English as well, or moments where I've been challenged and been told I wasn't Latina enough or, or American enough. And there's this amazing quote. And I say this, oh my God, I think it's going to turn up in every interview I do for the rest of my life. But there's this amazing quote in Selena, the movie. <laughs> yes. With Jennifer Lopez with J-Lo. <laughs> and J-Lo. And I was a little grown. So this was like one of those crazy things that really like, I think encompasses it. Selena, the character is in the car with her father. And I think her brother and the father says, we got to be more Mexican than the Mexicans and more American than the Americans both at the same time. It's exhausting. And 
I remember being little, like, you know, being probably like preteen and being like, like it blew my mind. Cause I was like, yeah, yeah. And so that struggle, absolutely. Because depending on who I'm with, I can be called gringa too, which is completely absurd, but like, you know, but it's, it's also like, whoa, what, you know, what do you mean? Like, you don't see me as a part of this culture. Oh no, no. You know, you didn't, you weren't born in, in Cuba or Puerto Rico or you grew up with a mom who was born in Puerto Rico, but came here early enough that you still had that American. And I'm just like, what are you, why are you defining what I am? And so being able to share that with other folks and get them to go, yeah, I'm like, yeah, that's right. You know? And so I'm like, I'm like, let's put you on a mic and like you tell that. And you know what? If you want to learn Spanish, you can do it. I know this because I'm a language teacher, right? So like, I know that you don't have to be five years old. Yes, five years old, soak it in better. Absolutely. You don't have to be five years old to learn it. So if you want to, I'm ready to like help you find resources to do it because I do not teach Spanish. But like, and I and I know as a professional, you can do it. So I'm ready to empower you. If that's not where you want to go either, that's fine too. So like, it's just, I feel to answer your question, so I, I feel like I'm giving folks the chance they didn't know was there that I know I struggled with. And I'm just kind of like, I get it. Let me meet you where you're at and potentially give you that platform. You know, just now you said struggle and that that word, it resonates a lot with me because I think we are often ashamed to admit that we struggle and that I have found, especially, you know, of recent times that it's when we share our struggles, that's like where the power is, is by you know, admitting in a way like it's, I don't know why, well, maybe I, <laughs> I have theories, you know, why is it not okay for us to admit that we all struggle, that there are, you know, life sometimes really sucks, you know, yeah. and nobody was guaranteed an easy life. And when we can kind of hold each other in these hard times, or like, you know, sometimes people don't have an easy life because of the systems that we live in. You know, I can, we have a lot of common struggles in life and there are other struggles that I will never have just because my skin is white or because my native language is, is English. Well, your native language is too. It's just that there are so many things that we don't even realize that are factoring into how easy or difficult our life is. And when we can share, you know, the struggles, then we can say, okay, how can we lift each other up? Yeah. These are layers. These are layers. And that's why storytelling is my tool, you know, and that's why these stories are important because I'm like my grandkids, your grandkids, you know, the folks whose grandkids I interview and, and, and so forth will be able to look back and be like, oh, not only am I getting a piece of this history, a piece of this experience in this time, but I'm also understanding where I come from and I'm able, hopefully, right. Hopefully able to navigate some of the things that were difficult for my ancestor, for my grandparent, for my parent. That's something that Latinos and Latinas and Latinxes that we don't get afforded here because we're such a nomadic people because of life's like really terrible circumstances that we've been handed. And so we don't have statues. Also, I don't think we want them, but we don't have them, right? That, but that's not how we tell, that's not how we cultivate our heritage and preserve our heritage. We preserve our heritage through telling stories. And I would say greater humanity as well, but to put us under the scope through dancing, through singing, through celebrating, that's why bodegas and the corners are so important. That's why laundromats are so important. Oh my God. And even in Barcelona, I was always like, you know, I had my laundromat look, but I had a very American Latina 
laundromat look, you know, like my hair was up in like my, my pineapple. And I, you know, I, I would go over there and look like, oh gosh, this is all I had to wear. Like that was a whole thing because it's, it, it's literally part of our culture because we go there to tell stories, to share. There's a Puerto Rican expression in Spanish that's called La Brega. And, and actually there's a podcast called La Brega as well. And it talks about, and La Brega means like the struggle. So if you ask me, you know, how you doing? I'm like, oh, you know, en La Brega. Like, you know, and it's like that struggle, that, that raw struggle. So yeah, telling our, telling these stories, sharing them is how we cope. It's therapeutic. It's always been there, but it's not, it hasn't been archived in the way that it could be, that it should definitely have been. And hopefully now we can change that. You know, you were talking about this nomadic nature, I would say of humans in general, because the reason that we populate the entire earth is because we are nomadic. All of us are. And I, I would love to hear your your story about how and why you came to Spain for eight years, to Barcelona for eight years. Like what, what part of you felt the need to like move, you know, and yeah. why? So I was, I was in college and I, in my, I guess right before my junior year, I was lucky enough to study abroad. I was really fortunate. I could only do it for the summer. I totally wanted to like leave for a year. Bye everybody. I've always had that, like, you know, I wanted to travel. I wanted to see things. I wanted to like live in places. I always had that in me. And, and I didn't, you know, and I've never felt like, oh, I need to stay here and see what's up. I'm like, oh, I'll come back. Don't worry. Maybe we'll see. And that's literally always been my dream. And so when I studied abroad for a month, I studied around Salamanca. Which oh, me too. How the, funny. Shut up. Shut yes. Up. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yes. It's like uh, the place where if you come to, <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you come to Spain to study Spanish, like Salamanca is the place where all students go. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do a summer program as well? Uh, I did a semester program there. Oh, yeah. so envious. <laughs> oh, Salamanca. And so this is the summer of 2007. And I originally, so to be honest, originally my, I always wanted, I've always had this draw towards England. I, I think it's like, I think it's like past life things. And I joke about that. But like, I've always, I was always like as a child, like really obsessed with like England and everything like that. And I wanted to do a year abroad in England. Could not afford that. Not even like in my wildest dreams. And then I was looking through the course catalog and I was like, oh, eh, or, you know, I'm not, I'm not interested in this. And then in college, I was taking not Spanish language courses, but like Spanish sports, Spanish art, Spanish business. Cause I knew I was missing vocabulary, right? So in one of those classes, the teacher talked about that program. So I ended up studying abroad. My, you know, God knows what my mom had to do to get me over there. And I'm so thankful, but and I did it for a month and it rocked my world. I'm like, yes, this is where I need to be, or I need to be, not be there. <laughs> Maybe it's also what I was thinking. I'm like, ah, you know, because as a theater person, and at the time I wanted to do marketing in theater, I thought I was like, oh, well, I grew up right next to New York. Like what better place? But I'm like, yeah, but it's not enough. And it seems so not simple as in literally it's simple to get a job, especially not in like 2008, nine, but it just didn't seem enough. And there was something that kept pushing me. And when I went to Spain, it all made sense being somewhere else and having that. So I swore and, you know, I held one finger in the air like I am right now. And I was like, I will come back. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, obviously you don't know me because when I say something, I do it. And so I spent those next two years looking to see how I could do, really how I could do theater or marketing in Spain, which, you know, if anybody's looks for jobs abroad, unless you're like some, like in some high corporate, whatever, <laughs> good luck. But I, there was somebody that came to my Spanish business class that was talking about teaching English as a foreign language. And I was like, oh, 
those annoying college students. I totally judge my own generation and my own age people. I was like, oh, you're so annoying. You're going to go, you're going to go, you're going to go like teach my aunt. Is that what you're going to do? But this guy, when he <laughs> explained it, when he explained it, it made sense. And I was like, Damn how did it. he, how did he explain it? You know, and I still know him and he's wonderful. He explained it in a way that was not, it was not, although he was speaking to college students, he wasn't talking to you like you were a college student that didn't know what you were doing. And he wasn't talking to you like, come do this for like three seconds and go somewhere else, do whatever. It's just like, he didn't speak to it in a transient nature. Cause I, and, and this has been one of my biggest pet peeves my whole life. I don't like to not be taken seriously. And I don't think anybody likes that, but it especially like irks me. And so as a young person, I, that was a serious issue that I had. That was like one of those things that really like annoyed me. And so he took it really seriously. And he was like, this is a great career. He was like, he's like, it's culture. It's this, it's that. He really laid it out in a way that was like showing me that teaching English abroad was not just you doing something to get abroad. And I'm like, good. Cause that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to be abroad to like do more than that. It's not my spring break. And so I went up to him and I was like, I'm in. And he's like, all right, fill out this application. I'm like, all right. So when I went there, oh, well, well, actually I should go back and say, I had the choice. I had a couple of choices, but I knew I wanted to go to Spain and it was Sevilla or Barcelona. And I, and I was talking to him and he's like, well, Sevilla is very traditional. And he's like, Barcelona is like New York on water. And I was like, oh, (laughs) that's actually more my speed. Let's do that. Spoiler alert, it's not New York on water. It's certainly a city on water, but it's not New York on water. And I grew up pretty much in New York and like North Jersey and like the part that looks in New York. And so when I got there, it just blew my mind. I fell in love. I'll stop there because, you know, but that's how I got to Spain. I definitely did not expect to spend eight years. Spoiler alert, but yes. I actually would like to hear you talk a little bit more about you. Like, I'm not going to go there because the whole, you know, I think part of being nomads, you know, as yeah. human beings, is that I just think like going way, 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 way back, why did humans start moving? Because they needed more of what they didn't have around them. Like they needed to find more food and there wasn't any where they were. So they had to go and look for it. So it's like we're looking for something when we move or when we when we migrate. I think we're either looking for something or we're <laughs> we're moving towards or moving away from something or maybe a bit of both. Another reason for moving might be, might have been, you know, because there was some sort of danger around. I'm talking about like, you know, cave people or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in your case, what would you say were those reasons that you were coming? Were you, what were you coming towards or what were you getting away from when you came to Barcelona? Yeah. It's actually funny because there's a superficial answer, you know, which is usually like, well, that was the time to do it for me. People have certainly done it older and I've seen those people and they've thrived. But for me, I knew that was my time. But deep down inside, I've always had this idea of, you know what? You really like, uno nunca sabe, right? Like one never knows. And like I said before, when I talk about England, and in fact, first time I went to England or London, I should say in particular, I got very emotional in a very weird way, which was really, really weird. And I could not explain it. And I, you know, there were a lot of things that I tried to do to get to go and I, I never like worked out. And when I finally got there, which I was already living in Spain, it was very emotional for me. And so like I, I mentioned that I, I do believe in like past lives. I don't know anything about this. So I, I can't speak at this about this at length. I can't tell you who I was, uh, you know, or anything like that. But I do like that idea that, you know, we're like old spirits or newer spirits, like, you know, in our like vessels and stuff like that. And I think that's like really interesting. Again, it's not something that I super explore. It's just something that I feel and I kind of like move with. Yeah. So that being said, I do feel that I'm one of those older spirits. And I feel that something's always told me you live life 
hard and unapologetically. And despite the fact that I come from, you know, like Latinos have had to move around, not just because we're nomadic as people, but because we've been forced to, you know, because we've been forced off our islands or off our continents or from like, you know, gentrification area or like, you know, we just can't swing it here anymore or like we're being, you know, so like there's all that history, but that's not, but that also informs me, I think, to say I'm in a more privileged space as the generation that I entered in on this time around. And so because I can, I should, because I've missed out or because my people have missed out. And I always move through life. Like, you know what? I could die tomorrow. Dude. Like, and I'm not saying like, I'm like in fear of like death every day, but like, you know, for me, it's kind of like, there's so many performative things that people do. Well, oh, okay. Well now I'm 27. So now I must do this. And this is very American. Now I'm 35. And when I tell you that I've never subscribed to that and like very little things that you could see are very like American about me in that way. I'm like, oh no, I'm 25. Do I have my master's degree yet? Do I blah, 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 blah? Like, you know, there's, there's those little things that like I eventually calm down. Thanks, Spain, because that was a big help. But for me, I always move like, no, I'm not just going to go into from my internship and take this job because they said, oh, you can now become the assistant to the, the director. I'm like, I'm not an assistant to the director. Like what? No. And I had an amazing opportunity with a Broadway company. Like what? What are you doing? Are you insane? Everybody looking at me like this is like the economic crisis of your lifetime. (laughs) You know, at the time you need to take this job. You know, I also got another job offer out of college for this Latino media company to do. I don't know what. And I was like, that doesn't excite me. What? That's not a challenge. What? That's not what I want to do. And I left two or three possibilities during a time where nobody was getting job offers because it wasn't enough. And I was like, no, 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 no. Because I think that deep down inside, I knew I needed to go to Spain. I don't know why. Some, maybe some, at some point I'll, I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh, shit, this is why. But for me, it's, it's going with what I want, not what people expect of an age, of a person, of a, you know, a, a certain ethnicity. And I've been lucky. I'm so fortunate that I was born with that fire under my tush because I've seen Ugh. other folks who are not. And, you know, and I was a 22, 23 year old that was moving with gumption that other people were not. Ironically, having come back here, I've actually had to fight that. I feel I was stronger then. And now I've had to fight that expectation and that whatever. And it's been harder being slightly, you know, know, 10 years older. So that's been a whole journey in and of itself. (laughs) Yeah. I I would love for you to talk a little bit about this fire under your tush because, you know, for some, I think this is where a lot of people are probably thinking to themselves, yeah, I would love to do something like that, but I can't, you know, we have these limiting beliefs. I'm so inspired by your story and that's, I wish I could do those things. People have told me that over and over again throughout my life, you know, like, I wish I could do the things that you, I'm like, well, you know, what is it that's keeping you from doing that? And what do you need to hear to let, you know, to make it obvious that you too can do this? So Mm -hmm. what would you say to those people who are listening to you and like, yeah, I want that fire under my tush and I don't know where it is. Like, (laughs) how do you find the fire? Jade, Jade, how do you find the fire? How do you find the fire under your tush? You know, that's going to be so different for everybody. And I don't want to give like a general silly answer like that, but it's true. I think everybody's going to come from a different circumstance. Everybody's going to have their different situations in life. So, you know, you can't leave because you have elderly parents. You can't leave because you have a brother with autism. You can't leave because 
how do I financially do this? Now I was not financially and neither was my family in a place to do this. I really went over there with like scraps. So I will say that that was just a huge, a huge chance I took. I think you need to know or to look and see what it is that you want. And then you need to really assess what is available to you and what is realistic. You need to set yourself up for success. Like, am I going to up and move to South Korea tomorrow to teach English? Uh, it's not, it's not, it's, it, oh my God, would it be awesome? Yeah. yeah. Like, would it be like really cool? Could I, in theory, like do it? Yeah, sure. But does it serve me? So if there's something that's holding you back, one of the things that you might not realize is that you're holding yourself back because you know it doesn't serve you. And maybe because it's kind of like, oh, I wouldn't actually enjoy, Jade, the struggle that you went through when you were in Spain living off of, you know, and, and, and at one point had literally 98 cents to your name for two weeks. How'd you get to that? Well, I was like, well, I had to, right? But I was also very cognizant that I put myself through that, you know, and I was, for whatever reason, really adamant that I was going to make it. And I luckily eventually did because I, I knew what I'd gotten myself into or I was discovering very quickly. And for whatever reason, I just, I needed to stay there. At no point was like, I like, oh, you know what? I need to go back. But when I decided to go back, it was very clear. Or when other moments came up and, and not such a great thing as, as a move, I was like, oh, I really want to do this, but oh, I can't. Oh no, it's just not possible for me. Ah. And when I really dug deep, you know, just having these internal conversations with myself, I saw that, oh, I didn't want to because reason A, because reason B, because reason C, or I couldn't because reason, you know, D, E, and F. And it's really, and I, I know it's like a lot of talking here and there, but you shouldn't judge yourself for not being able to do what somebody else can do. That's their story. That's something that they've been afforded because they are in that point in their life or yeah. something was released over here. Or you know what? I was lucky. Nobody, I didn't have any family members that were so sick or needed me that I needed to stay back and take care of them because I absolutely would have. And then I would have been like, well, you know what? I'll do this later. Or maybe this just is not my actual story. But also just because one story isn't yours, it doesn't mean that you don't have your own. And it doesn't mean that Ooh, that's not going to be amazing good. in its own way. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's true. I really, I really believe that. You know, when you, okay, so that's, that's a really, discovering your own story. One of the things that I, I just heard you say was, you know, clarity. Clarity, this is me kind of paraphrasing it. Clarity comes yeah. from the internal conversations that we have with ourselves. So I would love for you to um, talk a little bit more about like, how have your internal conversations led you to where you've gone in life and what kind of, because I feel like, especially in some cultures, people are afraid of having those internal conversations. They're afraid of listening to what their inner voice might be saying. And, you know, just look around, like people are constantly avoiding themselves by their thousand ways to like tap out. Yeah. What, what has it been like for you to actually have those inner conversations and how have they led you to where you've gone in life? And how did you trust them? I guess would be the next question. Like how? Well, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I used to, I think I used to say that this was because I was an only child. <laughs> like, of course I'm having internal conversations. I mean, <laughs> I don't have brothers and sisters to talk, talk to. to. Yeah. Who else am I going to talk to? 
But I mean, and I'm sure some psychologists could say, well, there is some sort of truth to that. You know, you do have to like kind of self-soothe sometimes and, you know, whatever. But I think that my internal conversations, yeah, did come from a place of analyzing, seeing things that were around me being like, oh, what's happening here? Do I want this? Do I not want this? Do I like this? Do I not like this? And it was just something that I always heard. And actually recently I read an article that not everybody has that. And I thought that everybody did have like that voice, that not, not a random voice, like mystical voice. I mean, no, my no. voice. Intuition. You mean intuition. <laughs> yeah. Like myself talking to myself in my head that not everybody hears that. I'm like, oh, really? That blew my mind. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I lost my way with the question. You're fine. I was, I was talking about, so trusting that inner oh, dialogue, that, that inner voice, you know, how, how has that been for you? How have you allowed yourself to trust that voice and actually do yeah. what it's you know, guiding you to do. Yeah. Thank you. So I guess I've trusted my inner voice because trying to say this and not sound like a jerk. You can sound however you want. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know I I was really fortunate in my upbringing and in the way that for whatever reason I turned out, because you can have a good upbringing and still kind of be misled. You can have a good upbringing and good influences around you and still go somewhere, you know, so for me, I was always like, oh, if I was in the movie of my life, I, I'd be the good guy and I'd be the, you know, the person that was succeeding and, you know, not taking the drugs, you know, when they're like 16 and like, you know, and like for me, it was always like, oh, I, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I felt like a good, clear compass of direction. And again, that's thanks to my family. Thanks to like the fact that they didn't squeeze me and tell me what to do, which is a miracle in a Latin family. <laughs> I mean, no, no, that's not true. They certainly told me what to do and where to go, but they also gave me space and room, which again is not always difficult. And so for me, I had demonstrated to myself with decisions that I had made that, oh, okay, like this is leading well. Okay, this did not go so well, but this really went well. And the majority of things were pretty okay. And when I looked at my life as a script, which I often do still, I was like, okay, I think I'm doing what a good person should be doing, what is true to me. I see what happens when I don't do what's true to me and what something told me. So like you said before, intuition, like, oh, I knew this was a bad idea. I felt it and I didn't listen. And so I just kept proving to myself that I I could trust myself. So I think with time, I also discovered that it was soothing for myself to talk to myself. I was using conversations I'd have with my mom, with my grandma, with, you know, whoever that I felt was a mentor or, or somebody I trusted. Suddenly the advice and the things that I saw that they were giving me, I was adding to my script, right? So it was kind of like, all right, this is in my toolbox so that if something happens, and obviously I can't just call somebody every single time something happens, I can almost like therapize a <laughs> new word myself and kind of talk myself off the ledge or, you know, guide myself in the best way. I think that's awesome what you're talking about is life is a script. And I think this is a really powerful tool for like writing our own story, creating our own reality. And I'm going to take something that you just said and give an example that I Uh just, that I use myself and I just use like the other day, I was doing my wad and CrossFit and it was in a particularly grueling one. And I was like, oh God, I just want to stop doing burpees or whatever it is I was doing. And I remembered that like, if, if I just imagine, you know, this is like a script and this is a scene. And so I'm going to tell myself, I coached myself through those damn burpees. I was like in my mind saying, come on, Brian, just keep going. You got it. You got it. Go, Brian, go, Brian, go. 
And I just kept going because like we literally can write our own stories. And I love that you say that like life as a script, because that's a fabulous tool for saying, wow, I really am in charge of the way that I live my life. I may not be able to affect all the external factors or to influence them. And I can 100% decide how I'm going to respond to whatever happens, you know? Yeah. And I think that we're really lucky to have that. I know that there might be people that can't, and I I do want to acknowledge that. I think we're really lucky for that. And I think that more often than not, the folks that we interact with will have that ability. They just don't believe in it because they've been held down. They've been told that they couldn't so often. They've been told that, well, no, because I mean, so many times I told you one of my biggest pet peeves, and I think I'm probably the only person that's like really glad I had a really good life in my 20s. I'm not going to pretend I didn't. But like, I'm so glad I'm not there anymore because people were so fond of telling me why I didn't know because I didn't understand. And by the way, they still do. But now it's like, shut up. (laughs) More so than now. And I feel more like, you know, gravity in that. But that was one of the things that's kind of like, you know, you feel your and people make you feel for whatever reason, your age, where you come from, the way you look, the way you dress, whatever it is, your sexual orientation, whatever it is, they tell you why you can't do something right? Because for them, it's, it, it's a power move. And whether or not they realize it, it's, it's like, well, no, this is the way I was raised. Yeah. I mean, sometimes. sometimes it's not, but you know, people find power in that. And when they see something moving in a direction that they're not familiar with, they're going to get nervous and want to redirect it. So I, I do want to be clear that I am talking to people that are, you know, in this group of, you know, yes, you can affect your own life. Yes. You don't have these you know, life circumstances that do literally keep you down, whether it's government, whether it's family dynamic, you know, and that's also going to be on a spectrum. So I don't want to like spin off into that, but I think that we all know where we are and whether this resonates with you or not. I think that it's important to recognize that like there are things we are in charge of and we have complete control of. And yes, this is in your, you know, this is your script. You can take charge of this. And there are other things that might need a couple of more steps to be able to have more control. So let's talk about those steps, because I think big changes come from the smallest steps. And that's something that in my life, I've discovered so much over the past year and a half. What are some of those steps that you, maybe things that you've done in your own life or things that you have seen other people do when you're talking about these people who are like a few steps away from being able to have any control over their inner world or the way that they respond to life? What are some baby steps that they could take to maybe have more control uh, of their response? Yeah, that's and this such is actually, a good question. But, you know what? I'm, uh-huh. I'm sorry. I'm going to, I see the time. So this is actually the perfect way to kind of bring the full circle to our conversation. Oh. Because the thing that I always ask guests at the end is to challenge listeners to try something out in their own lives. So this is okay. perfect because this is what, you know, I think you can help people do is what little things can they do to move towards being the writer of the script? Yeah. Oh, I like that. Okay. And that actually better informs my question, or my question, my, my challenge, hearing it that way. I think so often, and I throw myself into this because I'm individual to a fault, and I'm trying, and, and it's not that I'm not a team player, but if the team is standing outside and not doing anything and kind of like, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to. And they all just kind of sit down and because they don't want to like, just sit down and don't want to do anything. I'm like, all right, bye. And I'm off. Right. Like I'm very much to a fault that. So I also throw myself into this. 
who are your go-to people that can motivate you and inspire you to move? Movement in this context is whatever that means in your story. I don't literally mean move to the other side of the world, (laughs) although it's a lot of fun and we can both tell you that. (laughs) But I mean, what is that movement for you? And who are your people, right? I know who to call when I need, obviously, you know, I, I, fortunately my mother, right. But also those friends that serve as kind of like, you know, the parental, like, okay, I know that my, my good friend, Katie is going to give me mom advice and very sound mom advice. Right. But from a friend's perspective, if that makes any sense, I know that this other friend or professional contact is going to give me sound advice in terms of racial inequities. And, and, and he's going to hear me out because he understands it from a first person point of view. I know this other person is going to give me great professional advice. So when I need a kick in a certain direction, I feel that my job is to, and therefore anybody's job in this context is to determine, all right, what am I trying to accomplish? I don't know how to get there. That's okay. Don't panic. What am I trying to accomplish or what more or less am I trying to accomplish? And who are my people that serve my purpose that I know I can depend on? And that doesn't have to be a best friend. And I would even say it doesn't (laughs) even have to be a person that you actually know. It could be somebody that you follow. It could be somebody Mm -hmm. that you, somebody who's already doing it and that you admire. You know, a lot of the reason I felt like I could start a podcast was because of podcasters that I was listening to, you know? There you go. Yeah. And I I didn't actually know any of them. I just, you know, like they were my people who showed me it was possible. You know, inspiration. Yeah. Yes. And so I think that's an amazing challenge is to find your people. It was two parts to it. What was it? One was find your people. Oh, no. Well, determine what is your goal, right? Because you need to determine or. And sometimes goal goal is just like getting unstuck moving forward. Right. How do I, you know, who. Oh, gosh. Keep wanting to in Spanish. Who come <laughs> say it in like, Spanish and then we'll translate manima, it. Right? I would keep on saying like that. It's when I know that this is this is the beauty of Spanglish. When I know somebody else understands, my brain starts to go in both. But like, and, and that's the thing. If if you want a visual, you know, the mm. visual I always imagine is that you know, if I'm standing here, maybe this person can like hold my elbow up, but maybe they're not the person to hold up the other elbow or my legs. Right? Like, who are the people that are all like holding you up, and how? right? Who do you reach out to for what specific thing? I need a kick in my tush for this. I know I have to go to this person. I need to feel inspired and motivated. Okay. I listen to this podcast or I go for, you know, a walk or I meditate or I run or I cook. I find cooking very meditative mm. or I just, you know what? And actually seriously to the, to the audience, I was going to say to the publico, to the publico, honestly, something that is not a person, not a podcast either, but that I go to to just kind of reset sometimes are the golden girls. Ah! Yeah. (laughs) I find, I find those like episodes of the golden, I can always find an episode to like kind of relate very parallel to something, but I can also just, it makes me feel comforted and I watch it and I know it and I could probably perform every single episode by myself, but it's something, what I'm saying is it's representative of something that makes me feel safe and empowered it could be a book it could be an an activity it could just be a i need to get away from something or i need to not engage i mean really the spectrum of what those action items are for you can really really like run the gamut so what are you reaching for 
what's in your toolbox and who is standing by you that you can reach out to, whether you know them or not. (laughs) Hopefully you do have people that you know Mm. that can kind of, you know, inspire you. That's such an amazing challenge and I love it. And I think it's the perfect way and a very inspiring way to end our conversation. Jade Sintron Baez. <laughs> you so, did it. I you did, did it. it in yes. Caribbean Spanish. Yes. <laughs> so thank you so much. It has been such uh, a great conversation. It's been great having you here. It's an honor. Thank you. And if people want to follow you and know more about Looking Bilingue, we will include those links in the show notes. Wonderful. And just thanks. It's been, it's been great. Likewise. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you can feel the inspiration and passion that we put into this conversation and that it empowers you to be confident, compassionate, and courageous on your journey, on our journey to becoming all of us. If you enjoyed that conversation and you'd like to hear more, please be sure to click on subscribe or follow to get your weekly dose of inspiration. And remember to stop by and rate us with a five-star rating on the App Store. Leave your comments below. Let us know what it is that you enjoy about these conversations so that we can bring more of them to you. And stop by Instagram to follow us at the Being All of Us podcast. B-A-O-U podcast. Thanks to the group Bombadil for our intro music, Avery. And to Scott Gratton for our outro music, Motown is Yotown. Come join us again next week for more. Until then, shine bright, you beautiful soul. You are the change the world needs. Go out and shine.